Well, as a review, we have learned already in the book of Acts that Jesus has ascended to the throne. What a glorious moment that was. And he commissioned his church to bring the gospel to all nations and promised that the power of the spirit would come. He has established, uh, reestablished his apostles. And now we find them in prayer. And today we encounter that glorious and beautiful moment when the Holy Spirit descends upon his people. We're going to celebrate Pentecost today as we celebrate actually every Sunday this glorious work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, entitled the Sermon of the Festival of the New Harvest. You'll understand more of that as we go through. But Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. Let's go ahead and dive in and let's read the scriptures. This is God's word given to us. Uh, so let's let's attend our ears, our eyes to it. Some of you may want to get your Bibles uh, so that you have access to it there. It's also on the screen for you. Let's focus on God's word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house they were, where they were sitting. Divided tongues, this fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and the Medes and Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews, proselytes, Cretans, and Arabians. Uh, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others... Mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful promise of your spirit, the promise of your spirit that was given to the prophets hundreds of years before the Lord Jesus would come. And then Jesus himself, Lord, would promise the coming of your spirit to revive your people, to give new life to your people Lord, to supply all that we need for the mission that you have given us. Father, we thank you that even this morning we can take a look and see your fulfillment of your promises. And we too can rejoice. We too can be encouraged that your church possesses your spirit. We have no lack. Encourage us today by your word, by your spirit, for the glory of of Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Phil 
the dormant, dormants are a top vaccine scientist at Pfizer, believed with great confidence that the virus was vulnerable to immunization, uh, which in November he called this, this great uh, a breakthrough for humanity. Then in January, new variants came. His response, even just a few months later, is that we've been brought into a new chapter where vaccine companies are going to need to monitor these mutations and otherwise it's going to greatly dampen the effectiveness of the vaccines. Now, then you have uh, Novavox clinical trials data showing that only they are only 50% effective preventing COVID-19 in South Africa. Now, while this is just one small sample of the research, certainly I'm not intending to cast doubt on the vaccine's effectiveness. Actually, much of this article is saying, no, there has been success even with the variants. Um, but my point is just simply to say this, there can be such great optimism in the scientific community, actually all over the world or for a number of factors. And then suddenly there can be this massive switch. Many are sounding more pessimistic. Dr. Anthony Fauci puts it this way. All you need is one little flick of a variant sparking another surge. And there goes your prediction about when life goes back to normal. These rapid changes have left the top scientists in the field describing these developments over, over those several months as scientific whiplash. Scientific whiplash. And here the world is, is watching, is waiting, is hoping for signs of life to emerge, signs of, of normalcy to be brought back. We have struggling economies. We have people struggling with mental health all around the world. And it just seems like the struggles are only increasing. We know that here in Malaysia, uh, things are opening back up, but the, the, the concerns are still very much present. The virus is still with us. Fears are still on the rise and uncertainty is certainly with us. And that is even with a vaccine. The last section of Acts, what we saw last week was that God's people are watching, they're waiting, and they're hoping for signs of life in the midst of a deadly virus of sin. They've seen it affect their, their own midst, their, their own 12, the ones that Jesus had commissioned. They're experiencing the curse that has fell upon this world. But from this chapter onward, as we witness Pentecost, we're going to see something greater, something uh, more marvelous than a vaccine, something of greater urgency and of greater need. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit through King Jesus, that glorious gift that he will pour out on all of his church. And it is through the Spirit that we can have hope, that we can have courage, that we can live with ultimate purpose, that we can indeed fulfill this great commission that he has given 
to the church, even in the midst of great attacks from within and without. That's the whole of the book of Acts is it looks like constant whiplash when you when, when you watch this, this, it's like this movie before your eyes. So many shocking turns and twists. But ironically, this small bunch in this upper room, as they face these sufferings, these persecutions, uh, these worldwide actually uh, uh, disasters that they experience, um, rather than getting caught up in self-pity and obsession over the injustice that they're experiencing, the many barriers to the gospel to go to the nations, the language barriers are endless. But yet, what do we see? We see that they have courage. We see that they have confidence in God. We see the most profound re resiliency. We see that in the midst of hopeless circumstances, these people are filled with joy in the deepest darkness. They're in the muddy prison. They have a love that fills them because they know and they believe that the spirit of God through his word will break through all barriers. They are confident in the promises of God. When we look at the book of Acts, sometimes we can look at them and say, who are these people? How do they do this? Is this even possible for me today to have this kind of faith? Brothers and sisters, I tell you today that yes, Yes, you can have the same faith like these brothers and sisters had because we bear the same very presence of God. This morning we see this glorious fulfillment. It is so beautiful as the, the spirit of the living God takes up residence in his people. And we see that his people are going to be made up of all nations. And his people are going to bear the spirit. They're going to have the spirit upon them, both individually and corporately. He's going to be in us. There's nothing more relevant. There's nothing more vital for your life than this. Actually, in all the events since Pentecost, there's been nothing more critical. There's been no greater historical event than Pentecost. Looking back in history, we go back. And there, the centerpiece is this glorious event, pointing to the glorious final next great historical event when Jesus comes again. The man from heaven will clothe us with his spirit, giving us power, that same power that was given at creation to create the world. That spirit given to us and that spirit will apply the work of Christ and Jesus's work on the cross for us. The resurrected life he will apply to us through his spirit. The great commission becomes something actually obtainable. It becomes realistic, not just another legalistic law that Christians are supposed to fulfill, not just another duty, but it can become something that, that we can love to do and we can actually see God fulfill in our very own midst, even here in Malaysia. We have good news for the world. So look, we ask the question, what, is, what does Pentecost mean for us today? This event over 2,000 years ago. Well, it is this, that the harvest 
is here signaling for us the awakening of the new creation. Verse one to four, we have the presence of God condescending, breathing new life, life of healing upon his people. And we have the awakening of a new nation. Verse four to 13, the barriers of earthly nations are being brought down miraculously and hope descends upon this fragile world and we hear once again the mighty acts of God in the languages of the nations. Now we learned together at the beginning of chapter two that they were there praying and at the beginning uh, excuse me there at the beginning of chapter two we see that they're all together in one place likely again another sign of unity and it is the day of Pentecost. Now we need to understand what Pentecost is. Pentecost means 50th, uh, signaling the 50 days after Passover. And particularly, this is signaling and celebrating the first fruits, fruits of the promised land harvest. I want you to see this from the Old Testament. Uh, Exodus 34, it's on the screen. You shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the Feast of Ingathering at the year's end. So Pentecost has a number of names for it, one of them being the Feast of Weeks, the Festival of the uh, First Fruits. Um, particularly here, we see that it's related to the wheat harvest. Um, so this is the first of the installment of God's provision. This is a great, wonderful sign of life. Uh, you know, agriculture is so central as it still is today, but people's lives were, were very bound up in it. And, and you know, to wake up and to see that harvest would have been such a great encouragement. Bread has been provided. Uh, rice has been provided for us. And it would guarantee that the future harvest is coming. It, it has arrived and it is continuing, will continue to bear fruit. Now we learn more about this in, in Deuteronomy. I think this is particularly interesting. Follow along on the slide. When you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God has given you. Then moving on to verse 8. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you, to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. So this is really important background for you to understand that this festival of, of Pentecost is celebrating God's provision of the promised land. You can imagine these people. They have heard of this promise, this glorious place filled with milk and, and honey, right? And um, they've just been longing for that promise to be fulfilled. And they've been wandering through the desert. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, they've been suffering and struggling just trying to get by and they arrive in the land and can you imagine that first harvest 
<laughs> the overwhelming sense of joy and gratitude. And so God is actually going to set up a, a feast. He's going to help remind them of what God has done for them, both physically and spiritually. It's going to be a time for them to remember that he brought them out of slavery. He brought them out of their own idolatry, their own sinfulness. And now it's time to rejoice. It's time to, and this should have been easy for them. They're, they're called the feast. They're called to eat. Makan, yes. Don't be shy. Don't be frugal. Eat and enjoy. God is good. Celebrate. Now, it sounds to me like God loves Malaysians. He really cares about eating. He cares about the details of, the, of these things. He wants your whole house to be involved, not only your whole house. He wants the, the foreigner, all those who are in your midst, to join in to this glorious celebration. Now, many of us think and have heard a number about Passover, but it's, it's very similar to that. And just as Jesus would use Passover as a very visible demonstration of his, of his work on the cross, covering our judgment, atoning for our sin. It was a very uh, deeply uh, symbolic, would have had such a physical um, impact on those people as they imagined, putting the blood on the door and God covering his people with his grace. So too, the Pentecost, the Feast of, of Weeks, signaling the end of the wilderness. Time is upon us and home is here. Home is here. The promised land is nothing less than this picture of, of our final resting place. This prosperity that God has in store for his people. And here, uh, very clearly for the Jews reading this and the Jews experiencing this, that this is a fulfillment. We are receiving the first fruits of our lasting possession. This is the beginning of the down payment of our inheritance. All that God has designed for us is being laid before his people in a very tangible way. This is the background of Pentecost. It's a glorious picture. This experience is intense. It's dramatic. As the spirit descends, it's like sensory overload. This is what we would expect for God to come down. These physical manifestations are this violent wind and fire. Uh, and, and it's almost as if you can see Luke is having a hard time describing this. Um, but it's something like, like this great wind and like this great fire. And they descend from heaven. Now, Jesus has just ascended to heaven. Their eyes were there. And now Jesus fulfilling his promise from heaven. Here he descends through the work of his spirit and gives the gift of the spirit, baptizing his people with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, first, you can imagine this mighty rushing wind filling the house. I mean, uh, I've been alarmed. Uh, actually, the last few days, uh, this week, last few weeks, there's been some alarming winds in, in Malaysia. I don't know if you, you've experienced them. We've had some limbs knocked down. Um, it, it, it can create some feelings of discomfort, even fear. I, I wondered if they had some of that. It doesn't mention that, but um, you wonder. But it's important for you to know that both in Greek and Hebrew, the same word is used for wind as for spirit. For spirit, 
as for wins. This is very interesting. So uh, the first occasion of this would have been so distinct as they're even the Jews are reading this, this text. Their minds would have gone to the wind of creation. I have it on the slide for you. Genesis 1, 2. The earth was without form and void and darkness over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now stop there. The spirit of God descends upon this formless void and dark earth. And it is as if the very presence of the wind of God, you flow right into the next verse. I don't have it on the screen, but, but you know it. Let there be light. And there was. And all of a sudden, as the spirit is there, so too life forms emerges. This renewal is happening. This is, spirit is, he is nothing less and the creator God himself. The next chapter of Genesis, very interesting. The same translated Greek word here in our passage for wind in Acts. It's, it's right here in Genesis 2, 7. And then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath. There's our word, the breath of life. And the man became a living creature we see humanity's this lifeless body without the creative power of the spirit the breath of god this is the framework that the prophets are going to talk about salvation that is to come upon the people of god ezekiel 37 verse 9 then he that is god said to me prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man and say to the breath thus says the lord god Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Verse 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood there in their feet, an exceedingly great army. army. The breath of God comes, and these dead bones are made alive. <laughs> They're given flesh. The image is not merely of a, of a virus that, that kills, you know, estimated 1% of the population. Um, no, we see a whole valley. It's like the world is, is ended and everyone is dead. This is the nature of sin. It's so destructive. It is terrible. But then we see the greater power of God as the spirit descends. Creation arises. This is what the new covenant was to bring. That's what Ezekiel 36 says so famously. Uh, I'm not going to read it for you, but, but you know, you, you've heard it, that God is going to sprinkle clean water on his people. He's going to cleanse them. He's going to give them a new heart, a new spirit. God is going to put his spirit in them. Why? That they may walk in his ways. They may fear God, that they may live in the promised land where our God will be our God and we will be his People, this is the promise. Nothing short of supernatural recreation, and it's happening right here before your eyes in Acts chapter 2 upon the church. But also, we have another image with this scene. We have these tongues of fire that are resting on each of them individually. Very interesting. 
while the wind depicts this glorious manifestation of the presence of God, so too is fire throughout the history of God's people. One, one's mind quickly goes back to the burning bush. There is God spoke to Moses. We think of the pillar of fire. Some actually think it's better translated rather than tongues of fire. They think it should be pillar of fire, perhaps, maybe. Leads God's people. Or, you know, you think of Mount Sinai, you have these loud sounds, you have fire at, at Sinai is leading God's people to tremble, to fear God. Or more recently, redemptive history, Jesus, as we mentioned last week, but I'll, I'll read it again from, from Luke, again, his first volume. Luke three sixteen. John answered them all saying, I baptize you. With water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now listen to verse 17. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather wheat, the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Fire. This is signaling judgment. That's what everybody would have been thinking about as they read this. They're thinking, this is not good news. This is, this is bad news. John the Baptist, in fact, is going to question whether or not Jesus is the Messiah because he hasn't brought fire. Where's the fires of judgment? But I discovered this verse that I have really not... Uh, uh, paid attention to or, or seen, much overlooked. Also in Luke's first volume, Luke 12, 49. Look at this with me. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it be all, were already kindled. Verse 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Isn't this amazing that Jesus is going to bear the fires of judgment? Yes, judgment. Jesus is going to bring judgment. But what we see in his first coming is the coming of, of grace. How is this? Why is this? It is because Jesus himself is going to be baptized with this fires of judgment. He bore it all. Now, when we look at this fire, we see that it is a fire of God's grace that God condescends, and yet he does not destroy sinners who deserve judgment. But rather, we see that this fire becomes as like a, as a refiner's fire. I love Calvin. It's very helpful on this note. He says their, their voice would become, would be fiery, <laughs> that they might inflame the hearts of men that the vanity of the world being burnt and consumed, it may purge and renew all things. Hereby it came to pass that the doctrine of the gospel didn't only sound in the air to men's ears, but to pierce the minds of men and did fill them with a heavenly heat and burning. Fire represents God is an all-consuming fire, and yet he does not consume his people. But he enlivens them. He shapes them like a good welder who's going to fashion his creation. 
so too we see the doors of grace just being flung wide open. And here God meets with his people. And the spirit descends, everything changes. Verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Shock and awe fills God's people. This is the only proper response. Would have been amazed by the power of God. God not only dwells upon them, but symbolically this physical manifestation symbolizing the very filling of the Holy Spirit upon his people. Now, how do we apply this today, this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, I believe 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is very helpful for us. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. We must understand that the whole church has been baptized into that one and same spirit, all into this one body. The new creation is a powerful unifying effect, unifying like nothing else on the planet. God is going to corporately dwell and individually dwell within his people, giving them a taste of the promised land. They're going to be able to enjoy the first fruits, the enjoyment of all that is to come, first fruits of the spirit. Rejoice, brothers and sisters. That is, that is our call. We are to celebrate this glorious hope joy and peace that is ours because we have the grace of God upon us because God has came into our miserable existence and he is with us and many may be wondering well, how, how can I be baptized in the Holy Spirit well I have good news for you simply repent and believe the gospel turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and you will receive the Holy Spirit the gift of the Holy Spirit this is what Peter will make very clear in his sermon that it is very basic. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will receive the Spirit. 2007, uh, 2011, excuse me, uh, Pew Forum study showed that almost 305 million people worldwide, or 14% of the world's self-identified Christian population, is a part of the charismatic movement. And a lot of the charismatic movement would say that you not only need the Spirit's work at salvation, but you need an additional, separate baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, before we get much further into this, let me be very clear. My closest, I have some of my closest friends who are charismatics. Some of the most godly people I know are, are part of this movement. Uh, all <laughs> charismatics are welcome in this church. Please do come. Feel comfortable here. We love you. Um, and, and we should note also that not everyone who is a part of this movement believes in all that comes with the movement. But nonetheless, we must acknowledge there are millions of Christians who believe they need this secondary experience. And many are, are searching or seeking or are trying to get this, this experience, this heightened experience. But 
as we go through the book of Acts, for those of you who are blessed to attend the class or maybe heard in family time, Pastor Wong has taught us that we must distinguish between descriptive passages and prescriptive passages. Here, what is being described at Pentecost is not repeatable. Interestingly enough, it's actually not repeatable in its full expression, even in the, in the book of Acts or in the rest of the life of the church. We need to read Luke in context. This is part of the once and for all completed work of Christ to give the gift of the Spirit, to baptize his people in the Spirit. And we must be very clear that there's only one cross, there's only one empty tomb, there's only one ascension, and there is only one fulfillment of Pentecost. These are events of salvation, salvation history. And yet, that same Spirit, that same Jesus, He is going to apply the saving work upon us. It's going to be through the Spirit that He applies Christ's work to the church today. So um, I believe that the negative aspects and negative parts of the charismatic movement have produced this idea that there are spiritless Christians out there. I believe this is, this is not good. Uh, sadly, um, uh, I, I've experienced this here, even, even personally, this questioning, this doubt, the skepticism toward other Christians but this is the exact opposite of what Pentecost is actually doing. It's actually pointing us to the great unity that God has given. It is not a, a, a call to try to recreate this, this um, dramatic experience. We, in fact, we do not need this this. Um, constant hunger for these mystical uh, spiritual experiences to put us on, on some higher plane than, than other Christians. Ironically, without realizing it, when we do that, we actually are, 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 are living as though we need to add to the work of Christ, the once and for all completed work of Christ. We are taught that it is in faith alone. That is enough. It is enough. Um, but just again, so we're clear, um, this isn't just one issue for one section of the church. No, all of us, all of us are tempted to seek for more than what God has already provided. We think somehow we've missed out. We, we've been left out. Um, maybe uh, Pastor Micah has the spirit. Maybe, uh, you know, uh, the elders, they're very godly. Uh, you know, my Sunday school teacher, my covenant group leader, um, and we can kind of create these factions in the church, even within our own hearts. And we can live with this kind of unhealthy uh, idea, I believe, is that as an enemy of this four-letter word, more. M-O-R-E. More just great feelings. I, I just want to feel it. And all of a sudden, feelings become the centerpiece of our faith. And that's not how it is intended to be. We're just so tempted every day just to be seeking for more, more money, uh, just want to feel on top of the world, more success, uh, more security uh, for my family and their future, more power, on and on and on. I believe what Jesus has for us today. I believe he is communicating to his church 
another four-letter word, and that is full. F-U-L-L. As Ephesians 1.23 says that the church is the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness of him who fills all in all. The Lord Jesus Christ has sent his spirit to assure us that he's with us. That we have the power of creation dwelling in us. That we have a fullness. Now, should we continue to seek the spirit's presence and, and continue to ask that he would fill us? Absolutely. We need to keep in step with the spirit. Yes, we need to pray. We need to seek God, but we need to understand that we do not need to pull God's arm or manipulate him as Jesus taught us with, with the spirit. It is as basic as a loving father giving his son bread when he asks. It is ours. It's already ours. It's already in the house. And your father, he loves to give you the spirit to strengthen you, to comfort you, to sustain you. Pentecost is proof that he will answer. That we have this privilege of living as new creations and to enjoy these early deposits of, of the goods of the promised land, of his presence. Are some Christians lacking? Lacking love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? Well, it may be that they do not possess the spirit at all. Some may need to examine themselves to see whether or not they are in the faith. But we do understand, we do understand that each will have a different measure of faith. We must be clear, you're either a new creation or you're not. You either have the first fruits of the Spirit and you have all the privileges of the rights of a son, the spiritual communion with God accessible right before you. Not merely the hyper-spiritual, no, the whole church. Now, some of us, I believe, we, we miss tasting the joys of the first fruits of the harvest um, because we forget that the Spirit works in rather ordinary ways. Even this morning, I was so encouraged. I was brought to joy. I was, I, I was, I was brought to tears, actually, um, as my brothers and sisters in our corporate prayer time were praying, as we were praying together. Now, during, during worship, um, I was trying to take care of my one-year-old, as <laughs> you might have, might have seen. Um, I didn't have the feeling, <laughs> but God was with me, and he was, he was blessing me. He was sustaining me, as he's sustaining some of you who might not have these great feelings. Um, I tell you, God worked in, 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 a, in a very ordinary way this week through our, my Tiga Sakawan, Ken, Yukong, and I, we were sharing our struggles um, difficult things in our lives. We were, we were talking about our sin. And, um, you know, as I read those text messages that were coming through, I was brought to such a deep thankfulness. Again, such joy. Because I could see God's spirit working in my brothers. I could see the, the fruits of the spirit being lived out before my very eyes with these Brothers, this is the joy that I have in, in, in walking with you as your pastor. I, I feel most privileged and most blessed to be in this position. 
because I get to watch the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Brothers and sisters, we need to be encouraged by the fruit of the Spirit that's in work, even at work in our own lives. We need to acknowledge and we need to give thanks for that work of grace. We need to give thanks and rejoice for the work of the Spirit that we see in others. We experience this all because that glorious gift of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. Therefore, let us feast and rejoice. It's not only the cross, it's not only the resurrection, not only the ascension, but it is his spirit. It is a guarantee of our inheritance. So let us rejoice, church. But also we see that the coming of the spirit, as promised, would produce power power for preaching the gospel. This is the focus here, actually, that the gospel is going to break down barriers. We're going to see the first fruits of the harvest of what is to come right here at Pentecost. It's this little mini picture of the bigger thing that is coming to fall upon our globe, that from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. The gospel is going to go. The harvest is signaling the awakening of a new nation to dwell on the new creation, to dwell in that promised land. First, we see, I think we need to meditate on this. We have a new universal identity. Again, back to Acts 2.4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. We desperately want unity in our world. All over, billboards in Malaysia, you know, this seeking for one, you know, one Malaysia. Um, there's Facebook groups everywhere. They're just trying for unity. My country um, in the U.S. Is, is in a mess and is seeking for what can unify us. What, do we, what, what can we rally around? And I tell you, there's nothing more unifying than the presence of the living God directing your hearts to Christ. That's what God is doing with his church. He's directing us all to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this whole scene... Uh, coming in these, these upcoming verses would have brought the Jewish readers back to the Tower of Babel. We see this glorious reversal happening in redemptive history. God is filling the earth with his presence through his people as they were supposed to be doing. They were supposed to be filling the earth. They were supposed to be, be fruitful and, and multiply. After Noah, um, they were commanded again. Adam was commanded this, and now Noah again is commanded this. Um, and the glory of God was to take center stage, as we're seeing in Acts. But what we see after Noah is the sinful heart at Babel. There they wanted to fill the earth with the glory of man, with the glory of humanity. Genesis 11.4. They said to themselves, you heard it earlier as, as when he read, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves they were fixated on what they could accomplish on what gives honor to their own name this is the heart of idolatry but here we see god fills the world with his greatness and all will see that it is his name that is worthy of all praise and glory so he establishes this new nation this new nation has a, this new universal language i find this this is very fascinating second part of 
verse four says this, and they began to speak in other tongues as spirit gave them utterance. They, the crowd, were bewildered uh, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They're speaking in tongues, and this is given a precise definition. This is the other tongues of the peoples of the day. They're all speaking in these different languages. Rather than speaking uh, one language, the, the diversity of languages are honored. Isn't that interesting? But yet there's this unity within that diversity because they have one message. It is that one message that becomes the language of the nation. It doesn't, doesn't matter uh, your language. Um, uh, this same message will loudly communicate clear. The spirit has no problem. They're hearing God's word, the truths of God in their own cultural language. The reversal is clear, even as the people of Babel sought to, <laughs> sought to unify themselves for a, with, with, a, with a perfect, uh, with, a, with a wicked end, we see that it comes to nothing. That is what we see next. Uh, while in Acts, the people are bewildered. Uh, in Genesis, they're confused. That's actually the same, again, the same Greek word here. Let's look at uh, Genesis 11.7. When uh, the Old Testament was translated into Greek about 250 years before Jesus, um, we, we can actually see some of these connections. It says this, come, let us go down. And they're confused. There's our word for bewildered. Confused their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth. And the, there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now in Genesis, we see this is an act of judgment. <laughs> These these languages that, that are being given, and there's confusion that's being brought because of these languages. There's no understanding. There's no unity. But in Acts, we see this is an act of God's blessing due to his grace. The bewilderment is almost like this positive sense of amazement. How, how is this happening that we, that we all understand? There's such individual care and yet corporate unity in this great diversity that represents the nations of the earth. And we understand that the Jews would have lived abroad at that time, and um, uh, they would have been traveling to Jerusalem for Passover and, and, and Pentecost. Uh, there would have been others who would have been currently living in Jerusalem, but, but they would have maybe been from other areas, but, but spoke um, the, the previous languages where they previously lived. We think of someone like Jeremy's children who they can understand French, though they live here. They also speak Mandarin. Um, here, Luke is going to list 15 nations of the civilized world in his day. Now, it's interesting to think of our modern co context. The, the places that he lists in our modern day are Iran, Iraq, Turkey, Jordan, Egypt, Greece, Italy, and Syria. Now, it's, it's helpful to note, as scholars have pointed out, that Luke surely knows of other nations not on the list. All right, India, China, Nubia, Gauls, Ger the Germans, uh, the Scythians, they were widely known. Actually, it, even it seems that Luke even knows this, chapter 8, verse 27, and, and other passages seem to indicate um, but, but what scholars believe is happening here is that Luke may be 
actually symbolically updating the table of nations in Genesis 10. The Jews would actually do this. Um, there were 70 nations represented in, in Genesis 10, which uh, you should note is exactly right after the Tower of Babel experience. There, the list of the nations are there. And perhaps uh, Luke here is adding, he's giving a sampling of that unity that the gospel is bringing. That's the point. That it crosses linguistic barriers. That people are going to be unified across cultures. This is so radical for the Jews as they would have heard this, as they would have experienced this. They were a chosen nation. They were Yes, they were to be the light uh, to the nations, but everything had kind of centered around, uh, around them in their own language. And um, But we see that their mission had failed. We see that they had rejected the, the Messiah. And so we're going to see that they actually struggle with this transition of the gospel going to the nations. They were so accustomed that God was working in these particular ways, through these particular ordinances, ceremonies, that the new nation is being formed. It's a new universal mission just to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is it, to proclaim the gospel to all nations, to all language groups. What is the message we bring? Well, we see the hint of it uh, already in verse 11. We'll get to it more next week. But verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And Peter's going to show what those mighty works are, centered particularly on the resurrection of Christ. But here also this sending of the spirit there is success and there is fruit from their speaking from their preaching in contrast to genesis genesis 11 8 so the lord dispersed from them the people over all the face of the earth and they left off building the city totally fruitless but in acts we see the response of god's people there there is this amazement you can imagine the amazement, right? Living here in Malaysia with all the different languages you're familiar, it would have been something similar for the Jews. They would have spoken Aramaic um, primarily, but of course they would have been accustomed, a number of them accustomed to Greek and, and Hebrew. Um, but it's like you're going to Australia and you're visiting friends or family and all of a sudden you hear this Australian from some small uh, no-name town. Maybe we should say he's an American. It would be even more shocking. Um, um, from some small town comes and he begins speaking Cantonese to you. Um, and then he began speaking uh, to your friend um, in Hakka. Uh, then your other friend, Hokkien, and uh, then your neighbor is Iranian. And then he begins, another one begins speaking to him in Persian and, you know, on and on and on and on. You would be dumbfounded. You, you would be amazed. You would be delighted and refreshed. Perhaps you haven't heard your own language for, for some time, perhaps. Here we are, these glorious signs and wonders. Now, some might think if we had the spirit like them, if we had these miracles, then, then we would see more, everyone would come to Christ. That's what our church needs. But it's very interesting. That's not what even happened at Pentecost. There's some are amazed and drawn in uh, to the faith, as we'll see, but some mock. Some see a miracle 
some see that these are lunatics. These people are crazy. These people are drunk. How do we apply this message today? Well, we must understand that we have this special gift, these signs and wonders, the time of the apostles. We see the pattern of tongues for the advancement of the gospel into new nations during the time of the apostles, this foundation laying work. It had a distinct purpose and redemptive history. And we'll see as it comes up again in Acts and, and we'll address that again. But we see that when it comes up in chapter 10 and 19, it's, it, it's when the gospel is crossing into Gentile territory. But even with those glorious displays of power from Almighty God, we recognize that so too the church now will face persecution. Even as we do witness the gospel cross cultures, cross language groups, and people submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, we will praise him for that great miracle. But yet we should not be surprised as we go through the book of Acts that people will mock. People will indeed think that we ourselves are foolish. Now, uh, this issue of tongues can be very divisive, and I don't think it needs to be at CDPC. Uh, some of our various leaders in the, in the, in the four churches at CDPC uh, believe that, that God may use tongues again. That uh, could, and, and if he did, and if they did, it would be likely in the context of the advancement of the gospel, specific languages. Uh, we'll see later development in, in Corinth that uh, when there's not understanding, there needs to be interpretation. Um, but what is clear that Pentecost is showing us that this event is unrepeatable. It's unrepeatable. Even here, there doesn't even need a translation. It's just direct. They're just directly going to other people in their languages. So our goal should be to focus on the mighty works of God. That's the goal. That's the message. The accomplished work of Jesus supernaturally blessing his people with his presence through his spirit. And he's going to bless his people with his spirit through very basic, ordinary things like preaching. That's what comes next. And God is going to use this to save. And what must the response for these mighty works of God through the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the response, even this morning, should be to repent of your sins. Verse, verse 41 in this chapter, have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be baptized. Hear the glorious promises that you will receive forgiveness as you turn to Christ in faith. And not only will you receive forgiveness, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, verse 41. And the Spirit comes upon all, all who turn to Christ. This is very, very critical for us. The focus is not on tongues. It's the evidence of salvation. That is not the focus of the Scriptures. But it is evidence of the great harvest that the gospel is going to cross every barrier imaginable. What are the barriers 
in your life this morning, brothers and sisters? What are the concerns that you have for the gospel going forward? Well, let me encourage you this morning to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust in his power to grant us success and to remember that our success is not based on the response of other people. Otherwise, Jesus and the apostles, they too will have majorly failed. But we must continue to seek to bring the gospel across barriers. That must be our goal. If we love the Lord Jesus Christ, we must love missions. We must love it. We must love to see the gospel go across cultures and races. You know the great challenges. Um, I, I've been living here for, for seven years. And I understand the challenges, believe you me. But we are not lacking. We are not lacking as a church. Actually, let me, let me say to you, I believe you are in a very special place. I believe that you are more qualified and suitable for cross-cultural uh, ministry than your American brothers and sisters in your midst. Most of us grew up in very monocultural environments. You are growing up in a total cross-cultural environment. Now, maybe you don't realize this because you just, you know, it's the water that you swim in. But you so easily jump from language to language. I actually love uh, to witness it with my own eyes with you. Um, so as I said last week, what does the church need? I believe it needs you, brothers and sisters, for you to cross these cultural boundaries we must recognize and we must see that the, the Malays around us who are perishing without Christ, the Indians, the Chinese, without any hope in this world, without any power, the power of God in them. Brothers and sisters, they need us to bring this gospel. We all have a part to play. I'm so excited that Monica with our translation ministry has requested some funds for our BM resources should talk to him if you're doing well and you're in your BM. The gospel might continue to spread. We have Christianity Explored in BM. We have it in Mandarin. Uh, Pastor Wong and uh, uh, Elder Han Ming have, have led in this. We'd be happy to help you. I, I've led it in as well. You can do it with your neighbors. Um, it, quite simply, actually, just put on a video and ask some discussion questions that, that are in a book. Um, story, our storytelling team, they're doing it. They're crossing boundaries by the power of the Spirit. Uh, you know, the previous time there's 93 devices signed on for different countries. Um, you can join them. You can help them, encourage them. Um, I would love it this year if you would set up interest groups. You just grab a few friends, invite some non-Christian friends, do something that you naturally love to do. I'm so excited. We got a book group starting, uh, reading a book together. Um, uh, I'm, I'm praying that the Lord will use this time online. We can use our online resources. Brothers and sisters, don't underestimate the power of the Spirit and what He can do through you, through the whole church. People now are just longing. They're, they're, they're waiting. Uh, they're hoping for stability. They're hoping for some kind of unity out of diversity. They're hoping for life. People are longing for a vaccine. They're longing for friends to get better, family members to get better. Can you imagine the honor it would be to, to deliver these vaccines? Um, how wonderful, what a great privilege. DHL had that privilege. And, um, but what a greater privilege you have to bring the gospel, the mighty acts of God, to tell them 
that there is a Lord, that there is a Savior, that there is a King of the world who loves them and cares for them, that they indeed can find the very purpose in which they were created as the very living God wants to make their home with them. Repent and believe the gospel. There is no barrier too great. Church, go back to Pentecost. Go back to Pentecost again and again. The new harvest has come. Let's celebrate every week. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. Nothing is too difficult for us. The Lord is with us. The spirit of the new creation is ours. The spirit of this new nation fills us even now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the coming of the Holy Spirit, this great gift. There's none like it. We thank you that we can, even uh, in the most ordinary times, from washing dishes to um, helping our children with school, Lord, to our work, um, Lord, to sharing fellowship together, uh, we, can, we can share in the glorious fruits of the Spirit that we can learn more and more to walk by the Spirit, to live a life of love, joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Oh, Lord, shape your people, refine your people. Lord, allow us the joys of regularly tasting this, this new harvest that has come to remind us that our inheritance is, is awaiting. Thank you for the kind deposits that you've given through your spirit. Lord, help us to attend eagerly to the means of grace, word and prayer, to trust your spirit to work in and through us. Father, we pray for the mission of this church, that we would fulfill this great commission in this country, that we would see people uh, from all nations that are represented in this nation, Lord, we even pray that you would raise up missionaries to go to other people groups uh, in this country and beyond to bring the good news of the gospel, to tell them that we have a great king, that who will indeed come again and restore all things. We long for that day. Come, Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.